Why is it that so few people are unaware? Fear is probably one of the most potent motivators to human behavior. And they've really implemented that to the max. They're, they're using those historical precedents to instill fear that this is something just as bad, and it's not. I mean, how else could they get people to change their behavior like they're doing? The information is not getting out. It's just being absolutely suppressed, and, and everyone who counters it is being discredited. Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. I can't believe that I've never interviewed uh, the famous Dr. Joe Mercola on this show. Joe Mercola is probably the first influencer any of you ever followed. Am I right? He's He and Mike Adams are probably the first influencers I ever followed when there wasn't even a word influencer. There wasn't even a word blogger, right? And I was sort of in the second wave behind them, and I didn't have words like that either. I didn't know that I was doing a thing. I was just out there speaking up, and people were asking me to show how I switched my family when we were all very ill and I was obese. Uh, I was just out there showing how uh, my family started gardening, how we started eating a mostly plant-based whole foods diet, how I got my son's health back after he was vaccine injured and failure to thrive below the fifth percentile for weight after he'd been born a nine pound, 23 inch baby. And somehow a year later, he was below the fifth percentile and I couldn't take him out in public. because I was too terrified that he would get a virus or a bacterial infection. So listen, I know what it is to be terrified of a virus. I'm not afraid of viruses at all anymore. And that is because I do the basics. I do the basics. And you know what? I don't know what my son, who's now 26, now does on a daily basis. But I can tell you this. I raised him to have healthy tissues and organs and systems once I learned better. And you know, I don't know if I would have learned all that stuff if I if he hadn't been vaccine injured and if he hadn't been in a life-threatening situation because of his terrible health. And, you know, wheezing, coughing, and his oxygen saturation falling below 85% and rushing him in the middle of the night to the emergency room. This was my life after five years of infertility when I finally had this beautiful baby and he was a year old. Well, the things that we're going to talk about today have everything to do with that first year of my parenthood. And I started learning from Randall Neustadter, Dr. Randall Neustadter, who really did dove into the research on what was going on with vaccines long ago, long before there's as much research as there is now, but 25 years ago. And Dr. Randall Neustadter and uh, Neil Z. Miller, they, those were the two books that I remembered the best and, and learning from them empowered me and helped me not be scared to choose out of what everyone else was doing. His extensive knowledge of 5G, he recently wrote a book called EMF'd. Get it? You've been effed? You've been EMF'd? He's talking about 5G and his long research on EMF. He's talking about the virus and what he feels like you need to know that might be wrong. You might, what you think is true about the virus might be wrong. And he's talking about how he sees the future and how we take action. So I think you'll enjoy this. So welcome to the Vibe Show to the illustrious Dr. Joe Mercola. Hello, Robin. <laughs> well, I can't believe I haven't interviewed you before, but um, this is great fun. Thank you for giving us an hour of your time. Um, tell me where you're at with the virus. We're, we're doing this in uh, mid-May 
2020. What have you learned? Because I know you're learning as fast as you can. You're an amazing researcher. What do you think about the virus that most people don't know? I see news coming out and I see the vast majority of people seem to be very unaware of a whole lot of things we should know about this virus. Well, you're right. I've been um, avidly digesting information, probably consuming two to 300% more information I normally do, uh, partly because I'm not traveling now, but uh, it's really consumed a lot of my time, especially watching podcasts, which I watch at two times speed. So I'm able to watch twice as many. Um, but there's a lot of good information out there that is uncovering a treasure trove of information. So there's so many different areas to we could discuss. But one of the primary ones is that uh, this appears to be a planned epidemic. I mean, the, we know about Judy Mikovits, or you interviewed her, I interviewed her. Uh, and I'm just so happy for her. She actually got the a number one New York Times bestseller and book was number one in the U.S., which is it deserves it. That is kind of it is shocking that because the you know, New York Times is definitely uh, aligned with an agenda uh, that is is not consistent with Judy. So, but they didn't ban her. They banned me. I, I had the number one book sold in the country and I didn't get on their list. I didn't even make it, even though my book sold three times what their claim number one was. So uh -huh. this is the fat for fuel book metabolic mm. flexibility, which is a central component of how to treat this illness. So, you know, I, I, I'm in agreement with most of what she says that this is not a naturally evolved virus and it's been engineered and we're going to be exposing a lot of that, especially uh, directing efforts towards uh, having the 600 biosafety labs, three and four that are in this country, 600 of them. And, and really Francis Boyle, who is a, a prominent, uh, attorney out of Harvard and now at the University of Illinois and drafted the uh, biowarfare treaty in, in the late 80s, uh, is convinced that the only purpose for these is really for offensive biowarfare agents. So we don't need 600 of these labs all over that could leak at any time. But that's sort of a tangent. The, the central, the, you know, what, what did we learn from this is that a number of things. One is that you don't have to be afraid. There, there are two primary variables that if you control, you can almost eliminate the need, not the need, but the concern of developing the illness, which is COVID-19. The infection is SARS-CoV-2, but the illness is COVID-19. So what prevents you from doing that? The, the, this, we, the, the reason people are passing away from this is because they, there is another pandemic in this country. You can make an argument that it's the XMRV pandemic that Judy's saying, but I'm referring to the even more pervasive pandemic, which is metabolic inflexibility, which was the topic of my book, Fat for Fuel. And as a result of that, people are insulin resistant. They can't, their insulin levels are too high and they can easily shift for it between using fat and glucose as a primary fuel. So when you have that, you have clinical consequences and we know unquestionably that the people are dying, especially the younger people, because being elderly is clearly a risk factor. The vast majority, 60, 70, 80% of the people, depending on which country, are over 60 or 70 years old that are dying. But there's a fair number of people who are, who are younger, you know, 10, 15, 20% and passing away. And what, what is in common in almost every one of them is that they have comorbidities, which is typically obesity, diabetes, uh, they're on cholesterol medications. They uh, essentially have insulin resistance. So how many people in the country have insulin resistance? 
How many would you think? What's the percentage, not number wise, but the percentage? If I'm guessing at how many are insulin resistance resistant, I would bet it's far in excess of 80%. Yes, that's very good. It's probably 90%. The data that we we have is from the most recent NHANES studies, which shows is 88%, which means that only 10% of people, one in 10, are metabolically flexible. So that means almost everyone's at risk. The other risk factor, which is almost as pervasive, is vitamin D deficiency. So if you if you are metabolically flexible or not insulin resistance and you have normal or healthy optimal vitamin D levels, the likelihood of you, and those don't cost anything. They are absolutely, can be absolutely free. Mm-hmm. Well, people live in Utah, actually in Utah, it's not too bad because you know, you're at such a high elevation out there in Park City that uh, you can get access to enough UVB much more, su- su- more readily than people at, at uh, sea level at your latitude. So, because um, the key is if you go out with a, a, a significant amount of skin exposed at solar noon, which is 1 p.m. in the summer, because that's solar noon, it's not 12 o'clock. So you can get uh, enough UVB to, to optimize your vitamin D levels. I have not swallowed a vitamin D capsule in over 10 or 15 years, and my level is ideal. It's like 70 nanograms last time I checked. So you don't have to take anything. It's free. And then you get other benefits too, which is infrared, uh, especially uh, yeah, the infrared, which also increases nitric oxide and provides a variety of other benefits, somewhat similar to the sauna. Um, not as high a dose as a sauna, but still, still similar benefits. Uh, you're not going to detox from the sun though, typically. So you get optimized vitamin D, get metabolically flexible, and you're almost immune to it. Now, if you do have the infection and you, you know, it's too late for you, you failed to do your homework and you got caught up and you're infected and you're going to the hospital. We know that the last thing you want to do is go on a ventilator. It's almost a death sentence if they put you on a ventilator. Mm-hmm. So there are a number of things you can do before that. The ultimate treatment would be something that I'd speculated for a long while that would work really well. And we're just seeing now the first trials being published and that's hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Uh, there is a hospital in Louisiana that just has made the decision early on that they were not going to put people on ventilators and they had a pretty active hyperbaric clinic in, in the hospital with six chambers. These are hard shell chambers, Seacrest, and they use liquid oxygen. And they got compassionate use legal approval and chose to not all put people on ventilators and they put, put them all on, on the, in the hyperbaric chambers. And they had no one die from this COVID-19. No one, no one was put on ventilators and they just were used hyperbaric. And how many, how many were in the sample size? Uh, the time they published it was 11 or 12. They're probably at 20 or 30 now. Uh-huh. It's like two weeks ago. So significance, the first one, there's about four other trials going on. So that's, that is an option. Of course, it's not going to be too easy for most people to do that. So some simpler steps before you go to the hospital, because if you go to the doctor, your doctor, and you have symptoms of, of this illness, they're going to say, go home, a darn thing we can do for you. Uh, so the alternative to that is uh, to use some simple strategies. And I did a video using a pretty easy and almost virtually free uh, approach, which is nebulizing hydrogen peroxide. 
So a nebulizer is a device that converts the liquid, usually a few dropperfuls of, of peroxide, into a mist, a fine mist that you breathe in into your lungs and, and your sinuses. <laughs> and typically the, the, and the virus particles tend to uh, go into the areas where your body's the coldest and replicate. And that's where they start to infiltrate the body and, and you know, start their spread for growing. So if you nebulize early and, and the dose is pretty, pretty small, it's the, the few points on is I do a 25 minute video to go into great detail, but the summary is that you don't want to, you, you want to use a low dose peroxide uh, and typically not the type of peroxide you find in a drugstore. You want to use some, something called food grade peroxide, which doesn't have the stabilizers in it. Mm-hmm. So, because the stabilizers are proprietary chemicals that just weren't designed to be consumed. They're not safe, they're not grass, so you want to avoid that. And so you get, you dilute it down to 1% or even lower than a half a percent or even a tenth of 1%. So pretty low concentration. Uh, and you just nebulize that a few times a day and that has worked pretty well. Dr. Frank Schallenberg has been doing this for about two decades and getting pretty good results. Before him, Charles Farr had been using intravenous peroxide. And interestingly, obviously most people watching this know that vitamin C works, especially intravenous. Dr. Merrick, M-A-R-I-K, has been promoting intravenous vitamin C for septic patients. And uh, COVID-19 is a form of sepsis. It's a little bit different with a high amount of inflammation and cytokines being being, uh, deployed but it certainly qualifies as that. And how many people in the world, what percentage of people in the world do you think die of sepsis? Um, probably very few. That's, a, that's probably, that's a good common response, but surprisingly it's one in five. And people in hospitals? No, in the world. Wow. One in five deaths are due to sepsis. That's a lot of people. So there is value in understanding that there's an effective therapy that works about 80% of the time. So, so sepsis meaning like they, they present at the hospital or they're sick from something else, but then at the very end, that's what does them in. A bloodborne infection, they spike and they have a wide variety of symptoms that ultimately results in their death. So uh, it's a pretty hard... Uh, entity to treat with conventional medicine. So Merrick's protocol uses relatively low doses of intravenous vitamin C, uh, a small amount of hydrocortisone and vitamin B1 or thiamine, which is another useful adjunct to upregulate your immune response. So that combination seems to work really, really well, and especially for this. And there's a lot of trials going on with that now. So that's if you're in the hospital. Hyperbaric is another option, but the nebulized peroxide, and you could actually nebulize ionic colloidal silver, that would also be useful. Uh, So those are simple strategies. Other things you can do would be things like zinc. In fact, some of the drugs that are being tested now, like Plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine, actually take, there's a lot of media exposing the, or attempting to discredit this, I think largely because Trump was recommending it. But the trials that they're using to prove that it doesn't work almost invariably failed to use zinc or initiated the therapy far too late. Now, I'm not a big fan of drug therapy, and I don't think you necessarily need this at all, but it's certainly a lot safer and better than dying. And even hyperbaric, which is virtually no risk at all, and works pretty darn well 
maybe universally, I mean, nothing's 100%, but it's probably pretty close. Uh, it doesn't treat the foundational cause, as does peroxide. None of those. These are effective, safe, and for the most part, inexpensive band-aids that have no long-term complications. So it, you, they don't address the foundational cause, which is the vitamin D deficiency and the metabolic inflexibility. So that's the long-term solution. You don't want to necessarily rely on band-aids, but if you're going to, in a position where you're going to die acutely, then that's the issue. That then you then you have to consider those. But the the, the central core here is that, and really one of the central points of, the, of this viral pandemic is that is, like I mentioned earlier, I believe it was planned. This was engineered, not only the virus but this whole epidemic. And there's pretty strong support for that with Event 201, Bill Gates, the World Health Organization, World Health Forum, you know, World Economic Forum, and uh, Johns Hopkins. Uh, six weeks before the, this was reported, uh, interestingly. So uh, they're using fear and they've done it pretty effectively. Fear, as you probably know from your marketing uh, experience, is probably one of the most potent motivators to human behavior. And, and they've really implemented that to the max. There are so many people who are otherwise pretty rational and knowledgeable and have common sense that have just fallen into this trap and they've captured the vast majority of the public with this fear campaign uh, and really scaled the uh, level of abnormal responses to a height that it was really hard to believe could could happen. Yeah, I mean, I would love for people to just take a second and think about how many people you know, like how many people do you know, that, you know, if something was happening to them, you'd know about it, like, that's how well you know them. And I, my guess is that most people know a few hundred people like that. And then I want you to ask yourself how many of them have had COVID-19. And, and maybe that'll help us just come down to earth and take a look at it. What do you think the actual risk is? I've seen, you know, these these um, antibody tests, these serology tests are coming out of everywhere from California to New York and, and Massachusetts here in the U.S. I see one in Germany. I see one in Netherlands. So I know of at least half a dozen serology tests. The biggest one that I've seen, I think, is the one in Santa, uh, Santa Clara, California, that had 3,300 people tested. And it looks... I, I, well, Dr. Erickson is the guy in Bakersfield. I don't know if there's another Erickson-involved Bakersfield doctor who has just been, you know, just panned on, and he really isn't saying anything too controversial, but which brings me to the whole question, why is it that so few people are unaware? Our governors don't seem to be aware. Our mayors don't seem to be aware. Here in Park City, our mayor just went to the governor and said, we don't want Park City to go into the yellow zone, you know, where they're now completely controlling uh, our ability to engage in commerce and so they want to keep us in the orange zone because you, you like what 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 do you think the actual risk is because it looks to me like the risk is between 0.1% and 0.2%. 0.1% would be a pretty good estimate in most communities it varies of course depending on where you're at and like if you're in South Dakota or Montana probably lower although if you get the infection the the the, the question is actually what's your typical risk if you're not infected once you're infected then that that's another issue. That's the question I'm actually asking. It's point point one percent. It might come out to. It's. I, I'm pretty confident it's going to be under one percent. Uh, you know, the specific numbers will come out in the future, but it's not taking out large numbers. And it is, 
the level of response that has been implemented would be appropriate in the Spanish flu, which killed tens of millions, 50 million worldwide, but you know, many, many millions of people, not just coming down with it, but we're dead. Or the Black Plague, which killed 60% of the population of Europe, 60%. It's more than half the people were dead. Mm-hmm. So this is not, they're, they're using those historical precedents to, instill fear that this is something just as bad and it's not i mean how else could they get people to change their behavior like they're doing so they've it's been we're pretty clever and pretty effective and they, they've done this very strategically part of the the information they're using to run this campaign has been done by google who's really the surveillance king and has been surveilling us for the last two decades mm-hmm. so they know pretty much everything about you <laughs> that you have no idea of the information they've captured about you. Uh, so that, that's a whole other issue that I think is really something that can arm people up to protect themselves, to stop being surveilled by these organizations and capturing your data, not only to sell it and use it, but to manipulate your behavior and change your behavior. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about 5G. You had a book that came out last year. Um, it's it came re- out this year. This year. Oh, this year. Yeah. 2020. Great. Yeah. 2020. <laughs> February 2020. Right before things started going crazy. Yeah, you just need to relaunch it because the interest in what's going on with 5G is going up, up, up. Well, it's possible. But, you know, I just, I still think that the the, um, public awareness and concern for this issue is just too suppressed. It's very, it's, and I think probably the best analogy, and I, because it took me three years to write this book. I did a lot, I put a lot of time, effort, and energy into it carefully studied it. Three years is a long time to write a book, for me at least. And uh, one of the clear, it was very clear to me that there's so many similarities between the tobacco industry and the wireless industry. And to me, the, the, uh, the analogy is like, this is trying to write a book about the dangers of smoking in 1955. It's not going to sell very well. Mm-hmm. People don't believe it. They don't think it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, even though the evidence is there, and it's really clear and it's obvious and, and, the, and the industry knows this, it, it, they've been so effective at capturing the federal regulatory agencies that, and the public health authorities and the media that the information is not getting out. It's just being absolutely suppressed and, and everyone who counters it is being discredited. Yeah. And well, and, and telecom has not done any safety studies on actual 5G, even though we have thousands and thousands of studies about, you know, the the negative health effects of EMF in general. Not even 5G. They haven't done 4G or 3G. They, the, the, the really ones only been studied is like 1G and 2G. And that was the National Toxicology Program that was published about two years ago now. And it was $25 million project funded by the NIH. And they came up with pretty strong conclusion that it is clearly connected to cancer, unquestionably, unequivocally. And that those findings got suppressed. In fact, they changed the whole head of the project once they came up with the initial uh, findings and then re-vectored it to make it not sound as harmful. So, because they've got control of it, the wireless industry is able to manipulate these things. They haven't studied three, four, or five. Five won't be studied for 20 years. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see a big catastrophe happen and then they'll want to go back and study it when it's- And part of that is not necessarily this conspiracy to suppress and studying this. It's, it's that it takes a lot of time. First of all, technology has to exist. So technology is not really widely available until recently. Then you have to design the study. Then you have to pr- collect, get it approved, then fund it, and then 
do the study. It takes like five, six, 10, 10 years maybe in some cases, but it takes a long while to get the study done. It's not something you do with a whim and you're going to have the results in two weeks. So it's, you know, that, that's big negative going against getting this information out. So, um, you know, a lot of people are saying that they're rolling out 5G at a very accelerated rate under cover of people being at home because, you know, whatever health effects happen as we suddenly go quantum with the amount of EMF we're exposed to. So, so here in, just here in my neighborhood, there's a golf clubhouse. So I live way up above a, a, a golf course. The golf clubhouse in the last three weeks has installed 10 towers on the the clubhouse and we've contacted them and the people the people who work in the clubhouse have no idea they have no idea there's any risk they knew that those were going up but i sent some guys over to test it and it within 50 yards of the building um their meter is pegged out so i texted dan pompa i know that you know him he lives up the street from me and i said hey dan what what are your thoughts you want to help me get involved to shut down 5g here in town and he said and i, w- I would love for you to respond to this he said well you know i've been studying 5g and it's very, very strong, very short wave frequencies. But you know what? Anything will stop it. A, a leaf, a humidity will stop it. He said, I don't think it's a problem. And interestingly, we, John and I go for a walk and we run into the wicked fast guy who's installing in the area. He says here in Jeremy Ranch where I live, there's no no 5G installations yet. So, but a competitor is. And he said the same thing. He said, yeah, it's really, you know, like 28 to to 300 gigahertz, but, you know, anything will stop it. Even a piece of paper will stop it. So what are your thoughts about Dan arriving at this conclusion that it's not dangerous because... It just, just shows you how effectively the wireless industry has been. You know, he's got to give a look, have a little bit of information that they don't understand it completely. So in some ways he's right though, and that these higher wavelengths, it doesn't go to 300 gigahertz. I think the highest I've seen is 60 or 70 gigahertz. So 300 is excessive. Uh, that's getting that's getting close to terahertz range mm-hmm. um so the longer or actually the shorter the wavelength the the more difficult it is to penetrate into the body but you, you have to understand these wavelengths are still below ionizing radiation they're still below ultraviolet light and we know ultraviolet light can hurt you i mean ultraviolet light can kill SARS-CoV-2 can kill it dead. They use it to sterilize things and it doesn't penetrate your body. Uh, at least ultraviolet C, ultraviolet A and B certainly do. Uh, the longer, the shorter the wavelength, the less deeply it's able to penetrate. So, and clearly the gigahertz range penetrates deeper than ultraviolet. There's no question because it's, sh- it's a shorter wavelength. Uh, uh, but but it penetrates less, uh, not as deeply as 4G or 3G, or what's even worse is the 900 megahertz. So that goes in. And so your cordless phone is probably one of the most dangerous frequencies. But just because it's not penetrating deeply doesn't mean it's not affecting you biologically. And I think that's where the confusion results. It is affecting you biologically. Yeah, and it it is more easy to to shield against in some ways and that's why they need so many transmitters because it's blocked by so many building materials but but when you're out in the open air 
like in a park or a golf course, you're going to be blasted with these fingers. There's nothing shielding you. And, and it's the total amount of energy going in your system that's a problem. Concern is, is 5G a fact? A, a, is, is it the cause of this pandemic? And, and I would, you know, it's not something I haven't studied pretty carefully, not necessarily the relationship between the epidemic, but the, you know, the whole context and the biology and the science behind it, how it damages your body. So I, there, there's little doubt in my mind it will weaken your immune system, but I don't think it's, I'm pretty strongly convinced it's not likely the cause. It may be a contributing factor, but it's not the cause. Uh, some people are claiming it is. And, you know, you said that they're using the shutdown as a, as a uh, cover to install this. And I wouldn't doubt they're doing that. I've heard a lot with respect to some of the, they're doing this in schools in Texas you know, installing this 5G. But the whole issue is, is the wireless. I mean, the, the wireless in itself is intrinsically biologically unfriendly and it will damage your cells. And, and it's not like I don't take this thing seriously. I mean, my bedroom, I spent tens of thousands of dollars to create a Faraday cage in my bedroom and it has almost unmeasurable levels of these frequencies. So I believe in it. I do it. I'm diligent. I'm obsessive compulsive. I mean, I, there's no wireless in my home. There's, you know, I basically have virtually no exposure to wireless because I believe it's a biological danger. But and at the, at the other end, though, I, I think it's just one factor. There's, there's a lot of other variables. And, and like the ones I mentioned, I think vitamin D is far more profound a factor, as is metabolic flexibility, than your exposure to 5G. So ideally, you want to have all those optimized. But if you had a choice, I would go for the first two rather than worry about 5G. What can people do who want to be activists, want to be involved in shutting it down in their, in their area? Good yeah. question. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't discourage that. I think it's a worthy effort. I'm very, uh, I'm not very hopeful that it'd be effective, largely because of the incredible power of the wireless industry and their ability to essentially you know, capture most of the public health authorities and the experts and, and really control the discussion uh, and, and the legislation. I mean, there, you know, there are people are concerned about the vaccine immunity, the, the, the vaccine manufacturer's immunity to, live, to, uh, let, to lawsuits as a result of damages from them. And that's because of the legislation that got passed in 86, which provided them that insulation. Well, somewhat similarly, there was a legislation passed in 96, 10 years later, which essentially allows the wireless industry the right to install these transmitters, these cell phone transmitters, anywhere they want, even though there's, there's health issues concerned with them. They can override it. It's a federal override. Does it, does it indemnify them? Does it keep them from having... I don't believe it does, but it gives them the authority to, to install these. And once they're installed, they're very difficult to remove. So... The, I think it's worthwhile to, to participate in these, but the likelihood of it being successful, I think, is pretty low. There were some novel approaches that they had using some type of, uh, there, was two, two attorney, there was one attorney and another person, that jo Josh DeSole from, uh, I forget what project he's connected with, but he was working with them. And I forget the names of these guys, but they, were, they had some novel approaches they were using to seek to stop it. But you need something like that, you know, some, where you can legally uh, hit a loophole that may stop them. And it was some, some obscure 
loophole that they had that's, that seemed to be working pretty well. And I, I, they needed funding. And, you know, the, the, even though they had something, you're still, still need like tens of millions of dollars to, to bring this to, 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 through the legal process, legal system. And they've got deep pockets. And who's got the, the funding and the backing to fight these giants? I mean, it's really, it's really hard. Yeah, the way we're going to approach it here in Park City, and we're really just getting organized and have just started even reaching out to them, is to say, we're going to, we hold you accountable. You know, if, if the really catastrophic health problems happen, which, you know, lots and lots of literature shows that they do happen as a result of EMF, we don't know why amplifying the EMF already in our environment by 100x isn't going to cause more problems. We hold you accountable. We are watching this and we will hold you accountable. Um, so we're just getting started with that. So I'm very much listening. Yeah, well, the, here's, the, here's the complications of that. So 100X sounds like a lot and it is, but how much has it increased from 100 years ago to now? Do you know what that number is? Take a guess. Massive amounts. Take a guess. What's massive? 100 years ago. The percentage from 100 years ago? Not, yeah. How much did it increase? 10 times, 100 times? I would say thousands of percent higher. Thousands. You, you literally think it's thousands times higher. Well, didn't we just, like back then, didn't we pretty much just have the electricity in our walls? 1920 to 2020. Didn't we? Didn't we? All, I would think because all we had is electricity in our walls back then, didn't we? Uh, it's not thousands. But it's a lot. It's not hundreds of thousands. It's not millions. It's not even a billion. It's a billion billion. Goodness. It's 10 to the 15th. Goodness. 10 with 15 zeros after it. So you're talking about 100. That's like two more zeros. So it's 10 to the 17th now. I don't know what that number is called. You know, there's a name for it, I'm sure. But that's a lot. So, and then you've got, the reason why you're going to have challenges with that strategy is that they're not the only source of this. I mean, we've got Tesla coming up with SpaceX, not Tesla, but SpaceX, you know, both funded by or owned by Elon Musk. Uh, it's going to launch 42,000 satellites. They've already launched, I believe, 600, maybe 660. They launch, sit, launch them 60 at a time. And uh, this year, and maybe very soon, they'll be providing service to the northern latitudes of North America. And the projection is by the end of, certainly by the end of next year, but probably in the middle of next year, they'll be able to provide service all over. And so you're going to have thousands of satellites overhead at low earth orbit, typically about 100, 200 miles up instead of 1,000 or 2,000 miles up. And they're going to be blanketing the earth with these frequencies. And who I don't even, haven't read any projections of the increased density of the energy exposures from that, but it's going to be a lot. Now, there's a benefit to that. I mean, it's, it'd be nice to have access to have the internet anywhere. Um, but there's the downside. There's clearly a biological downside. So you, you're going to have to be able to differentiate their contribution from your local golf course contribution. So that would be very difficult to do on a technical basis. And I, I'm unaware of how you can even look and see how much of Elon Musk's rollout has happened. Are you aware of how to? Oh, that's easy. Just go go to your favorite search engine, not Google, mm -hmm. and type it in. Yeah, it's called uh, Starlink is the name of the program. Starlink. You just put Starlink. in Starlink launches, and, and you just pull up the latest article and the latest launch. And it, you know, I, I live not too far from where they launched these satellites, so I watched them go up. You know, uh, and they launched sixty at a time, and they're they're planning on doing like two or three a month. Have, have you been surprised to see that 
Elon Musk seems not at all involved in the whole pandemic. Like he's calling it out publicly. Not only has he reopened the Tesla. Surprised. I've been following Elon for a long, long time. Read his, read his biography, which was really an interesting book when it was out about five, six years ago. An interesting character. I think he's committed. He's certainly focused and disciplined. And I perceive him as probably the greatest entrepreneur of the last century and maybe even beyond that. Uh, real visionary committed. And uh, now I'm not surprised at his response at all. Yeah, I would, I would, I was surprised because I would think that he has been involved in all these plans and it was a little bit more concerted. I think it's out of ignorance, really. I mean, he really, in some way, you know, he's a stark contrast to Gates, who is one of the most evil guys on the planet. Mm -hmm. But they may have similar motivations in that it's, it's a uh, confirmation bias that they suffer from. They fully believe that the technology is going to, that they are entrenched in is going to solve the world's problems. And, and anytime they're exposed to uh, data or facts or information that conflicts with that, they're going to disregard it. So I think, I suspect the confirmation bias is what's obscuring their reality. Uh, and it may be something a few levels beyond that with, with Gates though, but I'm, I'm using that as Elon's excuse. I, I've heard you say that just like we look back right now at secondhand smoking, like none of us could just, like millennials can't even imagine that we used to smoke indoors and people used to smoke in restaurants and even on airplanes. And you and I have been on airplanes and in restaurants where that happened. That's how 20 years from now, we will see the unmitigated proliferation of EMF, ELF, RF in our environment. You want to talk about that for a second? Well, you mean that it will be here everywhere, secondhand smoke? And we're not a. Yeah, so. As I understand your, as I understand what I heard you say, it was actually on Dave Asprey's podcast. You say that EMF is is to this time period what secondhand smoking was in the in the eighties, and 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 I'm I'm super curious about your. Could you also earlier in this conversation made a connection to tobacco? Um, do you believe that in twenty years everyone will realize? the danger of EMF and be taking action, but right now they just- Okay, that's the question. Uh, is it the time frame perspective? That is hard to say. It, it really is. I mean, and it, it, I think it's largely related to this engineered fear campaign and it's gonna massively change our, it, everything's changed in the future, the way we travel and everything. So it, you have to integrate that into that prediction. If we had had that, if you pose that question in 2019, which I think is a fairer way to answer it because there's no, that is such a massive variable to try to integrate into answering that equation. It's, it's really spins my mind to think of what, how it could complicate that. But if we take the, the question back a year, 20 years, I think might be overly optimistic. Mm. It may take longer, 30 or 40. It, but it may be sooner because things may collapse much sooner than that. And then there might be, we might have this really incredible epidemic, a, a true epidemic of health complications that is clearly linked to, to this introduction of EMFs, in which case you're going to have changed more radically and more, and more quickly. But there'll still be enormous resistance, largely catalyzed by the lobbying efforts of the wireless industry. And people don't understand, they're a very, very powerful industry, even more powerful than the tobacco industry. And look what the tobacco industry was able to do. 
So uh, they, tobacco never captured the federal regulatory agencies. So you had the CDC, the Surgeon General, the EPA, all come out against smoking in the 80s, in the 70s. They all were opposed to it. All the federal regulations that were supposed to protect us were doing that. Yet they, tobacco was still successful. Wireless has captured all those industries. They're, so, they're all saying it's safe. They've been bought out. They control it. There's a, there is a revolving door, just like there is in pharma and the government. There's the same damn revolving door with wireless in the government. The head of the FCC, which is the main regulatory agency, for wireless. The head of the FCC was Tom Wheeler. Do you know who Tom Wheeler was or no. is? Tom Wheeler was the head of the wireless lobbying industry. Wow. Remember, the, the leader. And Obama appointed him to the head of the FCC for four years. Yeah. We always put the fox in charge of the hen house, don't we? Yeah. So that's exactly, I mean, and there's loads of other agencies and individuals that get, so there's, you know, they go from the industry to the government, to the regulatory agencies, they create the rules, they implement it, they, they, they facilitate subsidies so the taxpayers are actually paying for this implementation. They're paying for it. <laughs> because there are alternatives to 5G. Now, I'm, I'm not opposed to technology. I love technology. But there's other ways to get the benefits without getting that biological damage because fiber optics works, but they're not, they're, they're, they're not vectoring their research and their, their efforts towards deploying this. Everything's got to be wireless. And wireless is a relatively new animal. Now, we've had wireless I mean, from, from radio for a long time, but the actual social adoption of wireless as a common standard is literally less than two decades, less than one generation. When you went online last century, you did not go online with a wireless connection. You did not. Yep. I can assure you it was through a wire. Wireless is relatively new, sort of a catalyzed with the iPhone one, iPhone one. So, you know, mid two thousands. Uh, and then they had, I think, it may have been Apple that came up with one of the first wireless Ethernet connectors so that you didn't have to use wires, which offers enormous convenience. And now it's standard. Like, you know, like virtually no one is using a cable to connect to the Ethernet. I, I, I am, and I suspect you are too, but it's not common. It's not common. Yeah. Yeah, I am because I'm one of the probably fraction of 1% who's aware of the potential risk to my health. Um, well, there's two things. One is being aware and the other is being able to actually do something. And I, yeah. there's so many of us who are guilty of what I call FTI or failure to implement. Yep. And this includes many healthcare professionals. I can't tell you how many health events I've went to. I mean, really respectable health professionals. And you see them doing things that absolutely conflicts with what they know is harmful. Yeah, absolutely true. Well, my audience will never forgive me if I don't talk to you a little bit about vaccines. And I don't even want to direct the question so much as, as talk to us about whatever's on your mind that you think people should know about, you know, there's a rush to market right now for COVID-19 vaccine. Lots of people out there who are not well educated about the risks and the complete lack of safety testing of vaccines think that it's going to save them. It's going to make them healthy. It's going to keep them getting from getting the gombu. Talk about that. Well, it's, it's all an artifact of the massive fear that's been engineered into people and they want to be rescued and they're being told they need to be rescued. You've got Gates saying that the world is not going to be safe until every one of the 7 billion people on the planet gets this vaccine. So even Gates and Fauci were saying that it's going to take 16, 18 months. CNN was saying it's all this, but then now we find out that in March, 
in March of this year, they started human trials with this vaccine. Yeah, so clearly they'd already had the thing made. This is They've been worked on this for a while. These are messenger RNA vaccines, but they're doing human trials. Yeah. They totally, I don't know how that was even legal at the time because we didn't even know was the scope of this event, uh, the, the magnitude of the problem. But they started human trials in March. Their projections are that they're going to have it available by the fall. But it gets even better. Trump just announced this week Mm-hmm. that the military is going to be involved in this and in, in participating and distributing this vaccine because we need an army to do this. So they're going to have, there are, he's claiming to have by the end of the year or early next year, like January, February at the latest, 300 million doses of this vaccine. So it is absolutely untested. Now, it is clearly not the first coronavirus vaccine. They have done safety studies on you know, their SARS-CoV, which is the first coronavirus vaccine. And the, 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 the vaccine trials they did with that with animals, which were done in ferrets, which is an animal model pretty close to the human's immune system. And when they did it, they were able to actually successfully create humoral immunity. In other words, they were able to get an antibody response. But guess what happens to the ferrets who had that antibody response and they exposed them to the real virus? What? They all died, 100%. Wow. They all died. So not safe, not effective either. Well, <laughs> it depends on what your goals are, but safety not in no way, shape, or form. So, and they're not even doing these ferret studies. So the, the complications are going to be horrendous. Now, it's unknown. My guess is that it won't be mandatory, but that could, I could certainly be wrong on that. And they may be required to even be considered to travel. I mean, the, the, the long-term implications for how this is gonna change your life is pretty dramatic. I mean, we could have this permanent digital imprint, the mark of the beast, as some people call it, in our system that not only records your health history, but if your vaccine history, and you, you know, unless you can show through this digital imprint that you've been vaccinated, you will not be allowed to go on a plane. Uh, is that gonna happen? I don't know, but it's certainly possible. So, there are some serious things, but the, probably the most significant warning that everyone needs to understand is that they should not get this vaccine. That is an absolute prescription for disaster. There's not a question, not a micro doubt in my mind that doing the things I mentioned at the beginning of this are going to be far more effective, far safer, virtually no risk. It's the only risk, the only side effect from those interventions is that you're going to get healthier. Mm-hmm. You'll get healthier and you'll live longer. So, I mean, which uh, vaccine's not going to do that. It's only going to do the exact opposite. There's no way it's going to help your health. It's only going to harm it or at best be neutral. And I doubt that it's going to be neutral for, for many people. It's going to be long ter- long-term harm complications from it. So I would not get that vaccine to the point where, I mean, there's a, there's a significant number of the population who understands this, but more obviously need to know. And, and the reason they don't know is because the conversation has been absolutely suppressed. Every major media, including the way that most of us get our information now from Google, you know, Google is the largest search engine in the world. 92% of the searches in the world are done on that search engine. And it is totally manipulated. You know, they've, they've censored my site for, for a year now. Mine too. Hundreds of other sites, hundreds. The sites that have the truth, the information that, that aligned with what I've just mentioned earlier, you're not going to find on Google. You have to use all... The information exists. They didn't take us off the internet, but it's not going to be on Google.
Google. Yeah, I tried to find the name of the Vaccine Act in 1986, just a quick Google search, just as an example, and couldn't find it. Like Google has so buried information like that that you literally can't find things. What's your favorite search engine that you use alternatively, DuckDuckGo? Well, some, no, duck, duck, guess who owns DuckDuckGo? Oh, no. Yes, take a guess. Please don't say Bill Gates. No, worse. Soros? Nope. Rockefeller? Google. 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 Google owns DuckDuckGo. What? Yeah. That is the problem with all these alternative search engines. They don't, they aren't deep, they don't deep pockets. They're usually startups and they have well, they're well-intentioned and they've got great ideas, but ultimately they get bought out by Google that they buy out all the competition. So the, I do not recommend using Google. I do not recommend using Chrome, which is almost the same. So they will track everything that you do and use Google Chrome or Gmail. And they not only track you, but they record that permanently. It's never deleted from their computer systems. So use the browser Brave, B-R-A-V-E. Now, who knows in the future, maybe in the not too distant future, that'll be compromised by Google too. But right now it doesn't appear to be. Plus it also has ad blockers. Right now, I think I'm almost up to 2 million ads that have been blocked. It, It also has a script blocker so that you can go to sites like Wall Street Journal, put the script, block the scripts, and you get unlimited access to every article instead of doing five articles a month. So that's a nice benefit. But they, you, there's a search engine called um, Swiss, like the country, S-W-I-S, cows, C-O-W-S, Swiss cows. And it's an extension. And it's an easily to transfer from Chrome to Bray because you can transfer all your extensions over all your bookmarks. It's not a problem at all. It's easy to do. And every extension you have, when extensions are very useful, uh, leverage and power of the browser. So there's an extension called Swiss Cows. You download it through the app store and then you, then you, then you can use it because you have to have that extension for it to work. You just can't go to the Brave browser and type in. You, I guess you can go to, you can go to their site directly, but it's inconvenient. So because it's the only way it can become your default search engine, which is pretty good. And, that, and it's going to give you better results. So, so you use Brave, but you get an extension called Swiss cows. Once you're in, once you're in brave, I'm very non-technical. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. You go, you go to the extension in the settings. There's something that says extensions and download more extensions. And when you hit that you type in Swiss cows and it'll download it to your browser and then you're, you're good to go and just mark it as your default search engine. Okay. That's a great tip. I'd love to end with sort of a vision that you have of what's the best case scenario. We're one year from now. We're one year from now, and if we all get smart to what the play is that's going on right now, and you've given us some good data points on on some pretty decent proof that this was all teed up before any of us ever heard of COVID-19, and you've even alluded to some of the people who were probably highly involved in that, how can we be part of, our, of recapturing our future, our children's future um, for a year from now? What does the world look like in a year from now, best case scenario? Yeah, boy, that's a, it's a, it's a long time off and it's hard to make that projection. But I can tell you one of the things you can do and I neglected to mention is that in my book, the most useful chapter was chapter seven, in which I go over a very extensive list of how you can remediate and protect yourself and your family from EMFs. And, and it wasn't just my rocket science ideas. I mean, I interviewed some of the top uh, EMF experts in the world and in the United States and compile them all into this chapter. And the highlights of that chapter is a 25 page PDF you can get for free. You don't even have to buy the book. Just go to emf.mercola.com and you can download it. 
And, and uh, so that's a good resource. So, you know, what best case scenario that more people understand this and protect themselves from EMS, not just 5G, but there's a lot, I mean, magnetic fields are dangerous too. You know, that's not, you know, many people, they can be more dangerous than 5G. They're typically not as common, but they, if you have them, it's a problem. And there's a lot of people with wiring ears in the house and they're absolutely unaware of that. So paying attention to that. So how is it going to look like in a year, my best case scenario? more people start to wake up that there is, uh, I don't know that we will have a revolution or rebellion. I mean, you saw, you're starting to see some signs of that, like in Texas where, you know, just a pretty, yeah, Michigan too, for anywhere in states, you have got people going out in arms where it's legal to do that. And, but, you know, I just, I think we just need to, uh, the best case scenario is that people start to wake up. Because the, what's likely going to happen is just as they did with 9-11. I mean, there's no question about it. I just interviewed Dr. Merrill Nass. And, you know, definitely go to my site. I'm interviewing the top major players in helping us understand what's going on. And Dr. Tom Levy, Andrew Saul, Robert Rowan. I mean, these are people who tell you how to stay healthy and this vitamin D experts. So, uh, but Merrill Nass has been uh, studying bio-warfare agents for the last 30, 30 years, maybe even up to 40 years. And she was involved with the anthrax vaccine. And shortly after 9-11, people may remember the anthrax scare that was implemented. And she knew the person that was, uh, personally knew the person that was claimed to have started this and actually ultimately committed suicide. But what happened as a result of that anthrax crisis, which was clearly brought back to our, our main biosafety level for uh, biowarfare lab uh, at Fort Detrick, the result of that scare, that fear that got promoted was that we had the Patriot Act implemented, okay. which was a massive loss of our personal freedoms. So more than likely, the result of this pandemic, we're going to have more loss of personal freedom. And the biggest one is this contact tracing program, which they're going to make everyone not, whether or not it's mandatory is going to be a, a hard call. But they're going to, my guess is they're going to seek to have voluntary compliance with it by offering all the benefits. And they're going to have people to voluntarily uh, commit to being involved in this program, which, I mean, they're already surveilling the hell out of you. Now they're going to let, they're going to let you know it and, and, and voluntarily participate in the, in the guise of protecting the whole country and the community from this virus. Nothing could be further from the truth. You don't, this is, this is going to be China on steroids. Where, this, where they're all implementing these programs, they, they, they call them social credit scores. And, you know, they, they've got these, they're, they're there and, and everyone has it. And they're identifying these behaviors that are they're con contrary to their, their, the social goals. And if you conflict with them, you, you know, you can't fly anymore. If you're going to, the only way you can travel is on a, on a, on a, a train that's at the back of the train with you know all the riffraff so i mean there's a lot of penalties they can implement so it's it's potentially frightening future but i think if you just it, it can be hopeful you know stay alert find good information sources there's a lot of them out there that you can keep up to date at what's happening because this is a this is a, a changing target I and mean, we just don't know i mean a year out is a long long time and it's you know who would have the thought six months ago that would be at this level that you will never be able likely to travel the rest of your life on a plane without a mask and probably a half full plane you know and and 
Now they're saying, if you want to go, I was supposed to go to London for a biohacking event in September. And now they're saying it's going to be eight hours for international flights. You've got to get there before your flight. Yeah. And we, we might have to get disinfected. And if, if we have half full planes, you know, I think that this, that the, will be taken over by globalists and all of our airlines will be bankrupt. That, that, that is the ultimate, I think one of the primary justification, not justifications, but the motivations to engineer this epidemic is, is literally it's a transfer of wealth. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, not that the, the, the wealthiest people don't own almost everything, but now they're doing 100%. The, the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury, they're buying up everything. They're printing trillions of dollars. There's just you know, the, the potential implications for an economic catastrophe are, are right there. I mean, it's going to be, it is a global economic collapse. It, 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 it's total prescription for it. There's just no way around this. It's mathematically impossible. You can't, you cannot print money out of thin air and give it to everyone. You have, there are so many people, certainly not the majority, but a large number of people, significant percentage of the population now is making loads more income than they did before this. And they're not doing anything. Right. You're not producing anything of value and you can't continue that process indefinitely without, because there won't be thing there won't be things to consume if no one's making them or providing the service. It just doesn't work. Yeah. We've put, we've put every American on welfare. We put every American on welfare while escalating all of our government spending. We had the CARES Act initially. Now HEROES Act, I think is not yet approved by the Senate as we're recording this, but if it does, it looks like they're extending the unemployment compensation until like January of next year. And, and it's $600 extra a month, a week. So there, there's a, once you actually get into the unemployment rolls, I mean, it's crazy. They're, they're, but even worse, that, that this HEROES Act, as I understand, the, the biggest part of that, that's only like a half a, bit, half a trillion. There's like th- the rest of the three trillion is going to bail out bankrupt cities, municipalities, and states. Like I'm from Chicago in Illinois, and Illinois was the worst state in the entire U.S. with respect to being financially uh, reprehensibly irresponsible. And they should have went bankrupt, but they won't. Now they're bailed out by the government, and which is absolutely unfair to states that have been financially, good financial stewards and doing the right things and being prudent and they're not, you know, Illinois is not penalized. It's just mind-blowing what they're doing. But it's, it's, I think, ultimately a part of the control system to transfer all these assets to the wealthy and, and who, who that, that's their goal. I mean, they're the people who engineered this. And I don't know who they are. They, they don't want us to know who they are. But, you know, Gates is probably one of their people, you know, certainly part of the program. And, he, and he's part of this vaccine thing, this pro- process and problem too. I mean, he's, he's been a vaccine advocate for a long, long time. And, you know, it's illegal what he's doing. It's absolutely illegal, illegal is he, because he has two foundations, the, Gate, the Bill Gates and Melinda, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But then he also has the trust. And the trust is what actually makes the investments, okay? The trust directly benefits him personally him and his wife personally, so that he has donated tens of billions of dollars and his net worth has increased by twofold, twofold. That doesn't add up, you know, but ostensibly it's a very effective strategy. It's interestingly the the same strategy Rockefeller used a hundred years earlier. I mean, he, he had a worse PR image than Gates. Gates had a pretty bad PR image. I don't know if you remember him in the late, when he was with Microsoft, uh, people hated him. They just hated him because he, he did some pretty 
nasty things. And he had a big PR image. So he, you know, he's, he is smart. It's because he hired the right people and he's got this philanthropical good guy, hero, angel image. But a lot of people are understanding what's behind the real Bill Gates. Yeah. Thanks for all of that backstory, Joe. I appreciate you. I know you're really busy out there doing the same thing I am, trying to get people to wake up. And uh, where you told us the link to your book. EMF.mercola.com. Yeah. That's, and then we've got the website. And you know, every Sunday I do an interview. We post an interview and we've got re- really good breaking stories. We've got a good blog now. We put out four or five blog posts a day. Um, the highlights of what's been, because it takes us a, a week or two to write an article. So but the blog has uh, is called Breaking News. It's on the top of our page. That uh, stories that are that are literally within twenty, you know, a day or two old. So I'm I'm really impressed. I just want to tell you thank you for taking down your interview with a certain person who is out suing good people and saying terrible things about uh, folks that we care about in the medical freedom. Uh, it's it's <laughs> hard to understand the motivation behind some things, but people people just get confused yeah yeah because there's so few of us who really understand the basics and the truth and the commitment to doing the right thing because i mean it's david versus goliath on steroids for sure yeah so we can't afford to turn on each other we need to no that makes absolutely no sense it's just beyond on (laughs) non-strategic exactly yeah well, thank you so much, Joe. I, I appreciate you very much and keep doing what you're doing and being so brave. I'm, I'm, I appreciate you taking that video down because uh, he ne- needs to get a lot less attention. And I know you had hundreds of thousands of views on that video, but I canceled my own interview with him, but that was the right thing to do. Good job. Yes, indeed. That's yes, indeed. So, all right. Well, thank, thank you for doing this and uh, spreading the word. Appreciate it. 